Well, good evening, church family. We are finishing our study of the Gospel of Mark tonight. If you would like to join me in Mark 16, we'll be looking at verses 9 to 20. Uh, We started this study of the Gospel of Mark, I think, almost three years ago, uh, July of 2017, if you can believe that. And uh, so this uh, session tonight will be the conclusion of that study. And Lord willing, next week, uh, next Sunday evening, we will begin a study of the book of 1 Kings, which I'm looking forward to and hope that you will too. Uh, the books of First and Second Kings start with the end of David's reign, where he's uh, passing his throne and his crown onto his son Solomon and then uh, carry the story of Israel forward all the way to the exile of Israel and then of Judah. And so there's a lot of fascinating stories uh, in those books, and I'm looking forward to studying them with you, and I hope you're looking forward to that as well. But tonight we're looking at Mark 16, verses 9 to 20. This is what we call the long ending of Mark. And if you've got your Bible open, and it would be helpful if you did, if you have your Bible open... Uh, you will probably see there between verse 8 and verse 9 a note, maybe in brackets, that says something like this. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. Now, when you come across something like that in the Bible, uh, you might have all kinds of questions, right? Does that mean, should I read this? Should I not read this? Should I believe what's in these verses? Should I not believe what's in these verses? Why does it matter? Why is it important that these verses are not in the earliest manuscripts? What is going on? Well, um, many of you may know that we don't have the original copies of any of the books of the New Testament. So we don't have the book of Romans with Paul's signature, so to speak, at the bottom. We don't have the copy of the Gospel of Mark that Mark wrote with his own hand. What we have are numbers and numbers and numbers of copies of the original manuscripts. And there's a whole science called textual criticism where uh, scholars compare all the copies of these manuscripts that we have in order to find out what the original document would have said, even though we don't have it. So, uh, for example, um, let's say that you wrote a letter to somebody, and it was so important that lots and lots of people decided they wanted to share it with other people, and so they copied it and sent it on to other people, and then those people sent it, copied it and sent it on to other people. There would be numerous copies of that letter, and we wouldn't have the, if we didn't have the original anymore, we could still come up with the words of the original by comparing all the copies. And as people make copies, they would make a mistake. They'd add a word or leave out a word or a phrase. But with all those copies, you could put them together and figure out pretty easily what the original would have said. Now that's a simplified version of how people practice uh, textual criticism today. We have numerous copies of various parts of the New Testament and uh, scholars look at all these ancient manuscripts and compare them and put them together so that uh, we have our New Testament. We have what we believe are the original words of the original authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. And um, 
when you compare what we have um, in the New Testament uh, to some uh, other ancient documents, uh, it's very clear that we have we have an abundance of evidence. Right? We have there lots of there were lots and lots of churches who needed their own copies of the scriptures. So there are lots of manuscripts. So when you come across a passage like this, where there's a note that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. What that means is some of our oldest and best copies don't have these verses. And if the oldest and if some of the oldest and best copies don't have these verses, then they may not have been part of the original Gospel of Mark. But we're not entirely sure, and so they will be included in your in your Bible in brackets as a way of the, the translators, as a way for them to say we're not 100% sure whether these verses belong or not. We're including them in case they do, but we're giving you a note saying it's possible that they don't. So what do you do practically as a Christian whenever you come across a set of verses like this? Well, um, you can say, well, I think they're, I think it's part of the Gospel of Mark originally. I think they're inspired scripture, so I'm going to read them. You can say, I don't think that they are, they're not in the earliest ones, so I don't think they were part of the original Gospel of Mark, and so I don't think I need to read them. Either way is fine. What I want to point out to you is that whichever way you decide, it doesn't really change anything. And what I mean by that is, if you read these verses, uh, Mark 16, 9 to 20, and I'll read them for us in just a moment. When you read these verses, one of the things that you'll notice, if you're familiar with your New Testament, you will notice that there's nothing in these verses that is out of sync with the rest of the New Testament. In other words, if we did not have this law, this longer ending of Mark, and then today, if we'd never had it, and then today somebody found it and showed it to us, there's nothing in here that we would think, oh my goodness, we had no idea that that truth or that idea or that event was supposed to be part of the Bible. There's nothing in here that's new. And so if it doesn't belong, we don't lose anything because these events and ideas are all recorded in other parts of the Bible. If it's not original, we don't lose anything. If it is original, it doesn't add anything. There's nothing in here that's new. And so in the big scheme of things, it doesn't really matter whether these verses belong or not. Now, of course, it's an important question that we want to think about. Um, There's a reason why scholars spend their Um, time and and energy uh, pondering these questions and seeking to give us the best information that they can about questions like this. Um, But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty practical, do I read this as part of my Bible reading? What if I do? What if I don't? Again, it doesn't really make a big difference. There's another passage like this in the Gospel of John. We're all familiar with the story of the... uh, sinful woman who was brought before Jesus, and he said, uh, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. You know that story. It's in John chapter 8. Uh, that passage begins in John seven fifty three, and it runs down to John eight eleven. And if you turned there in your Bible, you would see the same kind of note, that that particular story, that episode, is not found in the earliest copies we have of the Gospel of John. Again, 
what difference does it make in in the big scheme? It's an important question, right? Whether that's part of uh, scripture, whether it's inspired, that's an important question. But in terms of our practice, if one person says, "I don't think that belonged in the original." of the Gospel of John based on the evidence I've seen and read, and somebody said it did, what does it change? It, it doesn't change a whole lot, right? There's nothing in that story that gives us something new about Jesus we never encountered anywhere else. We've seen from other places that Jesus loves to forgive, that he's merciful towards sinners, right? that he uh, tends to be on the other side from the uh, religious leaders who are emphasizing you know, uh, morality and works and keeping the law and, and all those things and see themselves as superior to those who are caught in their sin. Uh, he t- Jesus tends to side with the repentant sinners and not with the uh, uh, religious hypocrites. And that's the same thing that happens in that story. So there's nothing in that story that's entirely new. It's a beautiful story. It's a great story. But whether or not it belongs in the Gospel of John does not change in any significant way our overall picture of Jesus. That's what I'm saying. The story is important, right? Whether it belongs is important, but how whether how we answer the question of did it belong originally doesn't change the way that we think um, about Jesus in any significant way. And the same is true of this long ending of the Gospel of Mark. So let me, now that I've given you that sort of brief overview of how the, this kind of thing works, let me, let me read these verses for you and we'll talk about them just briefly. Uh, verse 8 ended with the women who had come to the tomb uh, It says, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Right now, if that's where the gospel of Mark ended, you could see why some people would want to add to it. Right. Um, That doesn't seem like a great place to stop. Some people would say it's certainly not the way any of the other gospels stop. So maybe somebody added these other verses, to fill out the Gospel of Mark to have the same kind of ending that the other Gospels have. Maybe Mark did write these verses, and because they were the last verses, they were on the last page, and the last page got lost, and that's why they weren't in some of the earliest copies. We just don't know. But here's what they say. Verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
So what do, what are we told in these verses that we weren't told in verses 1 to 8? Well, we are told that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Um, we're told that she went and told the rest of the disciples that she had seen Jesus and that they didn't believe her. We're told that after that, he appeared to two of his disciples who were walking out into the country. That sounds like the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh, which is told in Luke 24. And when they came back, the others did not believe them. Uh, Then it says he appeared um, to... um, Actually, I think I said he appeared to all of them back in verse 10 or 11, but that's not right. It's not until verse 14. Verse 14, sorry about that. He appeared to the 11 themselves, um, rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. That happens in the Gospel of Luke also. Uh, Then he gives them a version of what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Here he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Just like in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, and so on. Here he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Again, that's very similar to Matthew 28. That's similar to how Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. And then he says, there are going to be signs that accompany those who believe him. Uh, They will cast out demons. Yep, see that in the Gospels, uh, as well as in the book of Acts. Uh, They'll speak in new tongues. We see that in the book of Acts more than once. Uh, Verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands. Now we know some people have done some crazy stuff with this verse, but there is a story in the book of Acts where Paul has been shipwrecked and he's collecting uh, wood for a fire and a viper comes out of the wood and fastens itself on his hand and he shakes it off into the fire and nothing happens to him. The people who are there, the natives uh, of the land, they think he's going to die, and then he doesn't. He doesn't get sick. So that kind of thing happens, right, in the book of Acts. Um, Also says they will drink, uh, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. I can't think of a story uh, where that particular thing happens, but that's the kind of thing that happens, right, in the book of Acts um, as well as the rest of the scripture. Um, and then he says, last, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And of course, we have lots of stories of Jesus' disciples doing that in the book of Acts as well. Then verse 19 and 20 speak of the, um, the ascension of Jesus, right? After he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So him being taken up, that's his ascension. Uh, Him being seated at God's right hand, we call that his session. Uh, We do see the ascension at the end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. And so there's nothing new here. Um, Verse 20 says, They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. You read something very similar in Hebrews 2, verse 4 and 5. And of course, that would be a pretty good summary of what happens in Acts as well. So my point here is, is just to say that, um, you know, people who get really worked up about, well, how do we really know what's in the Bible? Aren't there contradictions and errors and nobody knows what belongs or doesn't belong? If they point to a passage like this and say, see, you guys don't even know if this belongs in the Bible or not. Some people say it does. Some people says it, say it doesn't. How can you be sure that what you have in the Bible is really God's word? How can you be sure that you're believing the right things when you don't even know if this passage belongs in the Bible? 
all you have to do is say, well, let's read the, these verses and compare them to the rest of the Bible. And again, do, does it add anything new if these verses do belong? No. Does it take anything away if these verses don't belong? No. We still have the same story about Jesus' resurrection, about people that he appeared to, um, starting with uh, Mary and some of the other women. It's still true uh, that many of the disciples didn't believe at first in Jesus' resurrection, even when they heard about it. Some doubted even after they saw him. We see that in Matthew 28 as well. Um, the commission that Jesus gives them to go and preach is very similar to what he, the, the way Jesus records, or uh, Matthew records Jesus' words in Matthew 28. Um, we see these kinds of signs and miracles happening in the lives of the apostles and others in the, in the book of Acts. And Jesus' ascension and session. Uh, all of these things are things that are told us other places in the Bible. Right, so again, I want to say, I'm not saying that these verses are unimportant. Right, some people believe they belong in the Bible. Some people don't. Uh, the truth is, we don't have a way to know for sure. We don't have the original copy of the Gospel of Mark. What we do have are numerous, numerous, numerous copies and many of our best and oldest copies don't have these verses. And so some people think that means Mark didn't write them. Um, others think he did write them, but maybe they just got lost early on in uh, a couple of occasions. But uh, some of the copies had the full original. Again, it doesn't, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't change what we believe. It does not affect our confidence in the scripture. There's not, there's not a single doctrine that the Bible teaches and that we believe that is affected one way or the other by whether or not these verses belong or don't belong. That same is true for the passage in the Gospel of John. Same is true for other smaller, less significant passages that scholars have questions about. None of these things ultimately change what we believe or what the Bible teaches. Right, so, um, in some sense, you just have to uh, sort of make a decision on your own or say, it doesn't really matter to me. I believe what the Bible says, and here it is in the Bible. It's possibly a part of the Bible. It doesn't change anything if it is a part of the Bible or if it isn't. So, I'm just going to read it. Or you might say, oh, I don't know if it belongs, so I don't know what I'm going to do with it. That's fine, too. It doesn't really matter. That's, that's the thing that I want you to say. I, what, I'm, what I want to do is make sure that this does not trip you up, right? that this does not confuse you, that this does not um, uh, you know, cause you to doubt or have concerns or anything like that. Uh, if somebody brings this up to you, I don't want it to stump you. Right? It's, it's really not a big issue. Okay, so um, if Mark 16 ends with this long ending, then it ends like all four of the other Gospels. If it doesn't end with this long ending, it ends a little bit differently, right? It's shorter. Um, it ends on a note of uncertainty, but it still ends with the empty tomb. It still ends with an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. And that's the main point of the end of all four of the Gospels, is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus is risen just as he said. And all four of the Gospels make that point 
very, very clearly. So I hope that's helpful to you. If you have questions, always feel free to contact me. I would be more than happy to uh, talk about this uh, at more length or answer any questions or concerns you might have. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this study of the Gospel of Mark. I hope that you have too. And I look forward next week, Lord willing, to joining you in First Kings.